activity activity you are witnessing greatness today we have a special guest who brings a unique blend of storytelling and advocacy to the gaming world joining us is the incredible thomas r wilson founder of rnh creative advocacy and storytelling so buckle up for a journey where gaming meets empowerment Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe for this engaging conversation. Without further ado, thank you so much, Thomas, for being here today with us. Thank you for having me on. And with spurring that, I did want you to just give a detailed, brief description of what you do, where you're coming from, and what does RNH stand for? <laughs> so um, I'll actually start with the RNH, especially because this is centered around gaming. Um, the RNH actually comes from Roadhawk. That was created like over a decade ago when I was writing for a wiki site and they asked me to create a, um, a username. And I decided I was going to pull from Rhodey from Iron Man um, yeah. and I wanted an animal. So I came up with Roadhawk and that's been with me for like over 10 years now. Um, it's still a username I use on several things, but Really, like it's so close and near dear to my heart and it's led to so much in there to honor that time um and a bit about my work nice. um, some people, Facts. um some people might be able to tell i actually have a couple um cats on my shirt it's uh centered around dnd my big sister sent me a shirt that was called dnd and cats because i love both things um but my work is really centered around uh using creative elements using uh, creative voices and video games, D&D, uh, writing, world building, all kinds of things to help uplift and empower people through creative events that is designed to be both empathic and person first led. Um, I realize my, not everyone might know these two terms. Um, empathic, pretty simple, making sure to put people first, understanding who they are, resonating with why they're feeling what they're feeling and person first is really designed around the mentality that we don't put people after their diagnosis mm. or person first is really about putting the people first always and my work has spanned from public speaking to writing events to public uh, storytelling and video game events. And it's constantly expanding, but it's all rooted in that idea that creative aspects are really what things that can power us in ways and empower us in ways that we've never thought of before and help us raise community voices. Now, just to clarify, mm -hmm. for those that are unaware, you mentioned em empathy. So there's items that you're empathetic towards. And I, I don't know if you mentioned it, but you, did you mention diagnoses or anything relating to that? So that way, those that are listening can understand what they're being empathetic towards. Definitely. So it can be a world of diagnosis. It can be a world of self-diagnosis as well as as um, empathy really correlates to even um, so empathy is the practice of sitting down listening and really taking in and understanding another person's point of view 
and another person's experiences in their mindset. So a lot of people think empathy is, oh, I'm taking it in and I'm making it mine. My mindset is really we're taking it in and honoring it in that individual, honoring the emotion, the pain, the happiness, whatever it is emotionally, mentally, or throughout the day. And it can even apply to situations where someone feels down or like if a boss has yelled at you, the practice of empathy in that moment would be sitting next to your friend, acknowledging what they're saying, helping them to feel validated and heard and like they matter. Empathy is a very broad construct, but it can fit into many different things. And for those of us with diagnosis, um, empathy is something that helps us to better understand when they think of neurodiversity, which is part of the community I work with, um, that people in that community can't empathize. That is not true. Um, people with autism and other diagnosis often um, are so intensely like feeling that empathy so strongly mm-hmm. that it actually fritzes out some of their ability to process other emotions. It's a very quick way to explain it, some very complex topics. But I did want to get in there that many people in the neurodiverse community do have and distribute that empathy aspect. Okay, perfect. So with that said, how did an empathetic individual who is neurodiverse get into D and D? What happened? How did you get into this world? Definitely. And just in case someone doesn't know D and D, the quick uh, acronym or whatever quick thing it is, um, it is Dungeons when I was in my mid twenties. I really wish I had gotten into it sooner. Um, I had a new friend um, who I was working alongside. She asked me to come play with them. That was, I think, it was about twenty four. And since then, I've been doing events since before that, but getting into D&D for my work, it's really, this game is such a brilliant, creative emphasis of problem solving, self-advocacy, public speaking, and so many other real life skills. Um, So when I took it into my work and started applying it, what I noticed was you, you can run the gamut of real life scenarios. You can use it to practice empathy. You can use it to help people with math skills. Um, and I mentioned public speaking. A lot of people don't realize a lot of D&D has a real world public speaking. You have to be comfortable making decisions and kind of improving the communication skills that human beings need. Um, and it really started for me i was working for an organization called the autism community um professionally running this Mm -hmm. i had been doing it for my day job but i offered pitched it to the autism store um and that was really the bulk of it for my business was running to see if this program could work um and just a little bit of clarification i opened my business in 2021 but as stated in my description i've been doing events for over 11 years dnd being a part of it But the reason I'm bringing up my business is the aspect that um, after signing on with the autism store, there was such a big growth industry within this world of using D&D to help with the neurodiverse community, mental health community, underserved communities that has actually grown. Um, I 
did some math last year. My business has grown about 800%. Still very small. Um, but it's so much of it is D&D oriented. It's still very small. There's a lot of things left to do. But it's still very small. It's a lot bigger than right, I give it right. credit. Okay, no, that's actually pretty great because I was going to ask you, how did you develop your announcer voice? Is it because you've been the game master for such a long time? Um, so that's definitely part of it. Um, you, I thank you for calling <laughs> it my announcer voice. Um, I had to learn when doing this work that there are tones and there are attributes to how people communicate. Um, that a lot of people don't like. We don't like it when people are loud or gruff or abrasive when us, especially when we're, you know, walking in, we're excited to be somewhere and um, that. So I work very hard to actually keep my tone of my voice enthusiastic. And that was actually largely developed at D&D. I had to learn how to keep communication soft and gentle, but I also had to keep it flowing and energetic and know how to hit tone. and pitches well and tie into those for character voices but still not have it be like jarring to the auditory senses um one thing i should mention a large chunk of my work is sensory friendly yeah. and what that means is it's designed to honor the noise levels the sight levels no flashing colors um there are spaces for people to go if they're anxious or worried um, and it means that I, as a presenter and a speaker, also have to be conscious of what I'm offering information-wise. Mm. So that, like, if I'm running a D&D session, I'm, if I, especially if I'm running a little bit, like, I do work with adults as well. And if mm -hmm. I do, like, a hack and slash session, I have to know what my players can handle in that and what's going to trigger them. So when I'm doing that, when I'm especially like a more violent session, I have to keep myself and my voice in a very particular realm of calm and controlled because for the rest of the session. Wow, that's actually pretty interesting that you have the, literally the empathy able to decipher and understand your since you're the game master what would you call the people that are participating your constituents or um i always like to call them players players, um, players yeah so you're able to understand how your parent uh, how your players are feeling and if you're either going too much you understand how to scale it back as well as if you're doing it a little too timidly where you need to crank it up, you have that ability to do so, not just with the vocal volume, but also with the tonality as well as the vocabulary as well? Definitely. Um, a lot of people don't realize that um, there are words that can trigger people. A lot of people in the communities I work with know that. Okay. Um, but like a lot of very common words that a lot of people wouldn't think are, I don't want to say a bunch of them now, they're not like vulgar or anything right, that right, I'm right. thinking of, but like 
you know, um, one I can jump to is crazy. It's a word that's used in society a lot. A lot of people mm-hmm. are okay with it. A lot of people aren't. But especially when I'm working with certain audiences, I can't say that word. Right. Um, because so many of those individuals are either processing the uh, verbal mistreatment of that or it's something they hear from people on a regular basis. I knew as a kid, um, I really didn't like that term because being a young kid in the early 90s with mental health needs, that was a term like everybody used. Mm-hmm. And it was a very different era um, mental health wise than it is today. And I got called that word constantly and I didn't like it because it made me associate back to really negative experiences. And another side of it is even if I don't think it's a word, um, when working in a situation, I think I may trigger a player is actually to just ask them, what can you handle in this moment? And what can't you? And I know a lot of game masters don't always ask that, but I'm a big advocate Mm -hmm. for it because I think as a game master, public speaker, storyteller, connecting with the audience means communicating with the audience. Um, And I mean, like speaking of video games, I know there's, I mean, I know so many people who've wanted to play like huge AAA wonderful video games but there's a moment in those where they just have to turn it off and walk away yes. because those people are trying to reach such a broad audience, but they don't have that sensory or emotional aspect um, in mind. And they may hit something that sends someone skidding off a rail. Um, I'm not saying those people are wrong. I'm just saying this is part of the reason I do the work because large right. production don't have the opportunity to really pull the audience. That's actually uh, pretty interesting that you mentioned that. That makes me think of the first word, uh, the first question that I want to ask that's going to make, that I hope makes you think. And that's, what would you say is a seemingly small or insignificant moment in your life that you feel had a lasting impact on who you are today? Could be Pro or a con? It could be a good situation or a bad situation. I'll leave it, or both, depending on how you want to answer. I think um, touching on a little bit of my experience, I think one of the first things, and it's going to be a pro and a con, actually, because I think as I got older, I learned how to turn this into a positive. Um, but I think for me, um, I remember as a kid being in a state of, so I, I remember in particular, um, I was at Disney World as a young kid, um, early teens, and, and I was, I believe it was the, I was on the Honey, I Shrunk the Kid, um, but okay. um, the thing that I didn't like about that was this ride had, for some reason, I still don't understand why, they incorporated elements of like feeling like you had rats running by your feet. And they had, like, visual aspects um, that were emotionally jarring. And I remember as a kid, I was so scared, especially because they really hit down on, like, rats running past your feet. So I could feel it on the back of my legs. And I got hit in this sensory aspect so quickly that I was like, no. And my emotions threw me off. I ended up crying and I had to leave. 
Um, and a lot of people don't realize that like that influx of emotion is a really hard time to process mm -hmm. the words we want to say, the way we want to process things. But I also remember that like the person standing at the exit of the like this experience looked horrified because there were experiences like that are the exact reason why I do my work and I work so hard to help educate the community on how to run sensory friendly events because when I look at that that's a particular time when like if someone would have given me more heads up there would have been more information or maybe if they had actually thought through some of the ways in which they were doing sensory elements they could have prevented that scenario and maybe I could have been enjoyed it it could have led to a whole different passion of some kind for me or i could have had an entirely different experience and now i kind of view it as a positive because it was a driving force in me really nailing down that there this is a very niche work but it's such an important work that i do